Hello again, we're just about ready to hit the track, so please make sure your safety belts are securely fastened, as they always should be in your vehicle. Test sequence is downloading, and we're clear for dispatch. Okay, let's move them ahead for test one. You'll be traveling in our ultra-comfortable LGS 250 Body Probe Vehicle. Captain, there's something weird out there! A patrol ship! I thought so. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't leave these people here like this. And they rain. And rain. And rain. The deluge. Test sequence is downloading and we're clear for dispatch. Okay, let's move them ahead for test one. W. And welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 91 for the week of November 2nd, 2008. We'll start off this week's show with some news from Walt Disney World, including information on a number of special events going on now and in the coming weeks. From there, we'll chat with Disney's chief magic official and all-around nice guy, Justin Machoni, about what he's been up to, what's new, and maybe even what's next. In our next segment, I'll fire up the old Wayback Machine and take us back in time before Walt Disney World had even opened. And joining me on my trek through the Florida swamps is fellow Disney geek Craig Wheeler, as he and I take a close look at a Walt Disney World we never knew by exploring the lost resorts of the Magic Kingdom. It's a fun look back at what was supposed to be and might have been with a little wondering and wishing thrown in as well. I'll answer a few of your emails, announce a sort of impromptu new contest, and give you some updates before playing your voicemails at the end of the show this week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In this week's Walt Disney World news, the Disney Vacation Club has launched a new website in order to give guests a special sneak peek behind the scaffolding and into the future of the all-new Bay Lake Tower at Disney's Contemporary Resort. The site includes renderings of the resort's pool, videos of some of its designers talking about the amenities, as well as a very cool interactive virtual tour Rather than try and read the entire URL here, you can go to the Disney website. I'll also put a link directly to the preview in this week's show notes. And first on the list of a lot of special events going on in Walt Disney World, Downtown Disney is going to become the home for more than 150 artisans displaying their original creations during the 33rd annual Festival of the Masters. That's going to go on from November 7th through the 9th, 2008. It's presented by Sharpie. It's a nationally recognized art show, which is actually ranked as one of the country's best outdoor art festivals every year. And to ensure that guests are really treated to some of the finest collections of art in the country, the artisans actually have to qualify for Festival of the Masters by earning a primary award in a juried art festival within the last three years. Then they submit their award verification and samples of their art to a jury of art experts. They select the participants 
And again, this year there's more than 150 that have on exhibit sculptures, jewelry, painting, photography, glass, digital art, just some of the different types of things you can see in downtown Disney. There's also going to be street painters, one of the one of the coolest parts of the Festival of the Masters are the street painters from the Florida Chalk Artists Association. Those are going to decorate more than 6,000 square feet of sidewalks with a lot of very cool, very unique drawings. Kids can take part in all the fun. There's also, also live music. There's face painting, interactive kid zones. Uh, House of Blues is also going to have a 10th annual Where the Art Meets the Soul Folk Art Festival on downtown Disney's west side. And this year over at Raglan Road, they're getting in on the fun. They're going to host the work of three artists associated with the Cherry Lane Fine Arts Gallery in Delgany, Country Wicklow, Ireland. Now, the festival hours are 9.30 a.m. until 5.30 p.m. each day of the festival. Again, that's November 7th through the 9th. It is complimentary to attend. For more information about Festival of the Masters, you can call 407-824-4321 or go to disneyworld.com slash artfestival. Now, if you can't make it down for Festival of the Masters, but you are going to be in town on the 15th or 16th of November, you will be able to see 31 stars from ABC Daytime's TV schedule who are going to appear at the ABC SoapNet Super Soap Weekend. Hosted by All My Children's Cameron Matheson, she's going to headline the event. It's also going to be sponsored by Colgate Total over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. More importantly, it's going to be the last Super Soap Weekend, a very, very popular event, because ABC's daytime division is now going to do the 2009 Soap Nation Tour, which is going to be a series of nationwide events designed really for interaction with fans on a year-round basis instead of just the weekend at Walt Disney World. going to give people more access to the stars and more cities more often. But this year's final Walt Disney World Super Soap Weekend is going to be dedicated to the fans with special retrospectives, exclusive productions, including special trivia and commemorative clip packages, honoring the 45th anniversary of General Hospital, the 40th anniversary of One Life to Live, 10,000 episodes of All My Children, yikes, and past Super Soap weekends. Now, throughout the weekend, fans are going to have the chance to meet their favorite stars from shows like All My Children, One Life to Live, General Hospitals. There's going to be celebrity motorcades, autograph session, game shows, interviews. You can purchase one-of-a-kind memorabilia from all the shows. Uh, There's a total street jam that's going to close out each day. It is free. It is included with your theme park admission. It's kind of like Star Wars weekends, but for soap opera fans. And like I said, it's included with theme park admission to Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's open to guests of all ages who are caught up in the fun and excitement and glitz of daytime television. For more updates and more information, you can call the Super Soap Hotline at 407-397-6808 or visit the ABC Daytime website at SoapNet.com. Now, continuing on special events, it's almost last call over at Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival, sadly, as the six-week festival is going to end on November 9th. So there's still time for you to get down there, sample some of the great food and drink from the 25 different festival marketplaces. Again, they serve appetizer-sized portion of specialties from around the world, complimentary wine and beer tastings, culinary demonstrations, plus, don't forget about the nightly, again free, Eat to the Beat concert series. The upcoming acts for the last weekends are November 3rd through the 5th is David Cassidy, November 6th through the 7th, Night Ranger, 
and November 8th through the 9th, Los Lobos. And for more information, you can visit, I love this website, DisneyWorld.com slash food. So we all know that Disney really is the best of the best, right? And when you talk about food and wine, you definitely think about being the best of the best. Well, in addition to us as fans feeling that way, the professional industry feels that way as well, as Walt Disney World was the recipient of recent industry awards for excellence. First, Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa took the honors as North America's leading resort in the UK-based World Travel Awards, which is rated by thousands of agents and travel professionals around the world. Also, Epcot's Illuminations, Reflections of Earth, Nighttime Spectacular and Fireworks Show earned the Golden Ticket Award as the best outdoor night production, I'm sure they wouldn't get arguments from many fans here, in an international poll of the amusement industry conducted by the Amusement Today, which is a leading trade publication. And speaking of big-time productions, can you believe Halloween is over and Christmas is just right around the corner? I don't know where this year has gone. Well, when I think of Christmas, I try to forget the childhood trauma of getting cold when I was six, and instead think about Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. And this special after-hours event treats guests over at Walt Disney World to magic and merriment on 18 nights in 2008. It's going to start this year on November 10th. The dates are November 10th, 11th, 14th, 16th, 20th, 21st, and 30th, and in December, the 2nd, 4th, 5th, 7th, 9th, 11th, 12th, 14th, 16th, 18th, and 19th. Of course, I'll put these dates up in the show notes. The fun begins after the parks close, like uh, the Halloween party, to guests at 7 o'clock. And what do you get during Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party? Well, I'm definitely going to cover it in depth on the show, much like I did with the Halloween party. But you do get special entertainment that you can't get on non-Christmas party nights, including the Castle Dreamlights, which is an, an amazing show in and of itself. You get a parade, a nighttime fireworks show. Again, arguably one of the best of the best. Special Disney character greetings, lots of treats and cookies and hot chocolates, and the snow on Main Street is amazing. Plus, of course, many of the most popular attractions in the Magic Kingdom are open. Now, admission to the party is a separate hard-ticketed event. If you purchase tickets in advance on select nights, it's $42.95 per person for ages 3 to 9 and $48.95 for ages 10 and over. If you want to just walk up and purchase tickets right at the park on the day of the event, you can do that as well, except some nights do sell out in advance, so definitely check ahead. But if you do... It is $7 more per ticket for walk-ups. For more information, you can call 407-W-DISNEY or visit DisneyWorld.com slash holidays. And finally, in this week's Walt Disney World news, just a quick note that the Country Bear Jamboree has reopened as of November 1st after a relatively lengthy refurbishment. And according to reports, listeners have let me know that the biggest improvement that they saw, or actually heard, was in the audio, which supposedly has been completely restored, completely upgraded. And if anybody has had a chance to see the show and hear the show, please email me or call into the voicemail with your thoughts, your reviews, what you saw, any of the changes. You can call the voicemail now. It's toll-free, 888-703-2171. That's 888-703-2171. Or you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And to discuss any news that I covered on the show or anything else, you can visit the WDW Radio Show forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com.
Earlier this year, we had a chance to meet and get to know a very special guest on the show, a man who's going to go down in the annals of Walt Disney World history as being the first and currently only person to do what he has done. A man who has risen to the level of full-blown rock star and has brought joy and happiness to countless guests from around the world. Well, today he is back to tell us about his ongoing whirlwind tours of the Disney parks and resorts and some other special events over the past couple of months. Maybe give us a little bit of further insight into the world of Disney's first chief magic official, I give you Mr. Justin Michoni, and I want you to know I worked for weeks on that opening. <laughs> Lou, uh, thank you so much. I, I need to actually uh, compose myself now. Uh, thank you for that introduction, those kind words, and hopefully everybody who's listening knows that that's complete hogwash. But thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Listen, you are, face it, you are a rock star in the Disney community. Um you know, I'm I'm absolutely having I'm having a blast doing everything that they've allowed me to do. I love being able to meet guests and share my story and talk to people about it. And and regardless of of, of what it looks like on the surface or or, or how it's interpreted, um, I'm I'm just so fortunate to be to be in this position. I'm absolutely so so blessed and so lucky to to have the chances that I have. And and hopefully I will always uh, you know always be able to keep that perspective. Awesome. Well, I, I will tell you that I am sitting here wearing my I Heart Justin shirt, and it's not Justin Timberlake. It's Justin Machoni. So I want to, uh, why don't you go ahead, we, like I said, you, you were on the show a while back, and, you know, you've probably done so much since then. Give us a little idea of some of the things that you've done since we last spoke. Um, it, it has been an absolute crazy whirlwind fall, um, just uh, full of wonderful, wonderful opportunities. Um, back at the end of August, um, right before Labor Day weekend, I guess it was technically into Labor Day weekend, I had the chance to, to head down to Florida to Walt Disney World and uh, be a part of some really awesome things. Each, each trip that I take as CMO has a different focus. Um, you know, in May, it was Toy Story Mania. You know, and the, the focal point of what goes into a press event. How do they host the media? How do you really get the word out about a, a new dynamic attraction like that? You know, so that kind of thing. Each one has been different. And in August, sort of as a chance to give back a little bit, and with it being uh, Labor Day weekend, most of my activities are really cast-centered, where I got to go to some cast appreciation events. I got to attend a party for all of the cast members at the Polynesian um, and it was a blast. I mean, they had a buffet where the food, they had a Wii set up where we did a kind of Wii bowling competition. Um, <laughs> I was absolutely terrible at it, um, but that was okay. There was a, you know, a watermelon eating contest, a dunk tank. I mean, just all sorts of fun things that, that the, the managers and supervisors were doing to really go out of their way to show their appreciation for those frontline cast members, for the people in you know, work in the front desk or in housekeeping or, or you know, wherever the case may be. Um, and it was awesome to see the cast members, to get to talk to them, to share my story, to hear their stories about why they work there and what they love about working there, and to see how much care and thought Disney does put into um, encouraging and uplifting its cast members was awesome. Um, I got to spend some time with the 2008 uh, Walt Disney World Ambassador team, Carrie and TC, Two absolutely incredible human beings. Uh, I love those girls. I love aren't those they girls. Awesome? They are the best examples uh, of everything that Disney is 
um, that, that I've ever met. They're, Pre- they're present, uh, other famous. than yourself, of course, present company <laughs> excluded. <laughs> well, thank you for that. But no, really, they, they are in a class uh, by themselves, as far as I, as far as I can tell. And they're, they're wonderful. I got the chance to follow them around and see what they do, learn more about the ambassador program. Um, we had the chance to attend a retirement party for a cast member who'd worked there for um, 30 years, um, driving a bus. He was a part of the transportation program. And, and to see the people he'd worked with for all of those years, um, you know, saying farewell and telling stories and, 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 you know, recalling all the good old days and those kinds of things, was, it was just awesome. It was awesome to see how much of a family um, the Disney cast members really are, and it's um, you hear those things all the time. To be, to be able to witness it was was something totally special. Um, and then a real personal highlight for me, if I can keep rambling here for another second, um, the uh, Friday morning of that trip at the end of August, um, Disney was welcoming in for a special parade that morning. Fourteen-time Olympic gold medalist Michael Phelps. Um, you know, the, we've just won all of these gold medals. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disney World. Well, he did. He came down to Walt Disney World. We, we had a parade for him and a special ceremony um, in the Rose Garden where he got to meet some uh, kids from a local swim team, which is really cool. They all got autographed copies of the Sports Illustrated magazine that he was on the cover of, and he got to meet all these kids. He did some interviews with local media and those kinds of things. And there was a ceremony where Mickey and I... I'm still kind of floored that I was a part of this. Had the chance to present Michael with a giant gold key to the kingdom, you know, a special surprise, you know, to say, hey, you know, you've you've won all these medals. You're a true American hero. You're somebody who represents, you know, the best that we all have inside of us. So here's a key to the kingdom. And I got the chance to meet Michael Phelps and shake his hand and say congratulations. And and um, you know, even just spending a few minutes with him there in in the Magic Kingdom was a pretty incredible memory. And honestly, he's a giant, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, I'm not not just a giant well, compared to Lou Mangello's size, but a giant to normal human beings as well. Lou, you and I are about the same size, so it's okay. <laughs> um, no, he is. He is a giant, um, but he, despite that, you know, he, he still comes across very humble. He was very genuine, very kind. Uh, you know, when, when he when he shakes your hand, it, it, it just feels very sincere. And uh, so he is. He's huge, and he's he's very tall. And his arms are long, and his <laughs> legs are long, and, and and you certainly can see him when he's coming because his head sticks out above most people <laughs> in the crowd. But um, despite the fact that that he is the most celebrated athlete in the world right now, um, the kids that I got to see him meet, the people he got to talk to, the Disney contacts that he made and you don't even you know getting the chance to 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 shake my hand not that i'm anything in his world um was also very genuine and sincere and and i i hold him in the highest regard i mean i really i i thought he was just a a stand-up guy it was a really incredible experience getting the chance to to meet and uh you know and shake the hands of of literally the most famous olympic athlete potentially ever yeah, and as long as you don't get behind him in the buffet line, you're good to go. So, I mean, because the guy eats like 30,000 <laughs> calories for breakfast. So. <laughs> that actually was one of the questions I overheard one of the TV stations who was there ask him. 
Um, now we know, you know, when you were at the Olympics, you know, it was a big deal about how many calories you had to eat a day. So how do you find the Disney Park food? You know, what do you like to eat to meet your <laughs> calorie requirements for the day? And I was just, I was laughing. I was like, there, there you go. There's the pressing questions we need to That's know. Right. Does Michael, how many turkey legs can Michael Phelps consume in, you know, in one sitting? But, See, it always comes back to food. I'm not the only guy. It always <laughs> comes back to food. That's right. So, so that was, um, and that was August. Um, in September, uh, in the middle of September, I had a chance to head up to New York City for the day, which is awesome. Uh, I know you live a lot closer to New York City than I do. Um, but I had the chance to head into New York City for the day to be a part of the What Will You Celebrate press event, where they unveiled the new promotion for 2009. Um, I had the chance to be there to host some of the media, to hear about the campaign firsthand, to take some pictures. Um, to get the chance to meet Jay Rasulo and, and some of the uh, execs that were there to talk about the exciting campaign. And it was awesome. It was a whirlwind day. I flew in that morning and flew out late that night. Um, but to be a part of a press event on that scale, to get the chance to meet some of the people I met, and to really see all of the planning and, and the work and the effort that goes into these promotions that Disney does each year um, was just it's fantastic. It's really exciting. You can't, couldn't help but walk out from there feeling just really excited about the opportunities that, that lay ahead. Um, so that was incredible, and um, the dessert was fantastic. <laughs> See, it comes back to food, doesn't it? <laughs> See, it does. It does. I'm feeling a trend here. But I have to say this just because I found it fascinating. Um, you know, they had everybody assigned at tables and we had little place cards at our tables, and the waiters came around and, and partway through the meal just sort of discreetly picked up the place cards so that they knew where everyone was sitting, took them back to the kitchen. We all had these delicious chocolate cakes that were covered in, like, fondant, that, like, really hard icing that allows it to take a shape that were looked like red presents, like a Christmas present or a birthday present, with a big yellow fondant bow wrapped on it and a little tag that said, what will you celebrate? And then in, in icing around the edge of the plate was everybody's name written, you know, their name. And, um, and so when the dessert came out, it was, you know, specifically personalized for you, sit down in front of you with your name on it, and it looked gorgeous, and it, and it tasted even better. And, and again, it's that level of, of attention to detail and creativity, even in the desserts, that, uh, that makes me love what I get to do. So. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, so... Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. You, uh, you, at some point, you're going to need to because I could go on for quite a long time. Um, after that opportunity, um, I, I hope, hopefully, uh, you and most of your listeners know that the What Will You Celebrate tour kind of was going on where they stopped it. I believe it was, they were shooting for 30 cities um, uh, over the course of, of several weeks. Uh, and one of their tour stops brought them through my hometown of Pittsburgh. So I got the chance to meet up with... Um, a couple of my contacts from the marketing team, and I got to see what goes into that aspect of promoting and marketing the Disney parks and the events. I got the chance to hand out some balloons uh, and talk to a lot of Disney fans and guests, you know, right here in Pittsburgh, which, again, is always uh, an exciting proposition. Anytime I have the chance to spend my day talking about Disney, I'm not going to say no. So um, that was awesome. Where, what was next? Man, I forgot how much this is going on. Uh, this is crazy. Um, and stop me if you need to at any point here. Um, at the end of September, a really neat uh, trip came up the, the last weekend in September back down to, to Florida, to Walt Disney World. 
um, on on Friday night that weekend, I had the chance to work at Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, mm-hmm. and and not just work. They actually, I went to costuming, and I got one of the official uh, guest relations host costumes with the the purple pants and the uh, the green and, and and yellow striped shirt and the vest, orange vest with the little uh, like bat bow tie that they wear. I was in full official Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party cast member uh, costume for the for the evening, and I got to go around and hand out candy. I got to go to some of the candy stations, meet guests, hand out candy, talk to the cast members, and really see. That was my very first experience with uh, with Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, and it was absolutely a blast. It was wow. it was incredible. The um, the moms panel was in town uh, that weekend. So I had the chance to meet them at the train station and hand out some some candy to them and to all of their kids and watch uh, the special fireworks display um, that's a part of the Halloween party with them. And it was incredible. I love the moms moms and dad panel. Love those guys. Well, couldn't (laughs) have the dad. Forgive me. But yes, are you, um, you've been to Mickey's Not So Scary, right? Yes. Okay. See, that was my, that was my first time. I I don't know how I, how I had missed out on it before. Um, But everything about it, the, 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 the atmosphere in there at night, you know, the kids in their costumes. It's just such a fun, festive atmosphere. The parade's great. The parade is amazing. Um, I, I, I want to be one of the grave diggers in the parade who use the shovels and, like, drag them along the pavement. I don't know if you know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we just talked about this on the show. I think that, I mean, worth the price of admission right there. Exactly. It's just such a cool effect. It's such a cool effect. Um, I'm actually contemplating going out in the street in front of my house and trying. So, you know, you never know. Um, the fireworks are worth the price of admission as well. It's just such a neat experience. Um, so I had the chance to, to do that. And then most of that weekend at the end of September, um, the focal point for that trip was um, pass holders, the annual pass holders, um, and a lot of the uh, special events that they get to be a part of. The specific one in September was the previews for the Tinkerbell movie that was just released this past week on uh, on DVD. Um, so we had five or six previews of Tinkerbell that we were showing in a theater in the back of Exposition Hall there on, on Town Square. And uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I got the chance to watch the movie. I got the chance to meet the producer and the director and the screenwriter for Tinkerbell. Uh, and they were fantastic people. I had the chance to get my picture taken with the fairies when we unveiled what Tinkerbell and Rosetta and Fawn and, and Iridescent and the rest of Tinkerbell's friends would look like for their meet and greet in uh, Pixie Hollow, which is now up and running as well. Um, so I had the chance to be a part of all of that magic. And um, in a little bit of fun, Disney has, has learned or figured out that I enjoy talking, apparently. <laughs> um and uh, at the end of each of the previews, while the guests were, were sitting there, they'd watch the movie, they'd had the chance to have the, the director and the producer and the screenwriter come out and say hello and share a little bit of insight into the making of the movie. Um, the guests then all had the chance to kind of file out one at a time and get their picture taken with the fairies, which is an awesome surprise. They had no idea that it was coming. They didn't know that the fairies would even be there. And it was a huge hit, obviously, with, with everybody. Um, but that was going to take a certain period of time. So they'd set me up with some trivia, which I know you're a big fan of, um, trivia relating to the movie, relating to the parks, relating to Tinkerbell or Peter Pan or uh, fireworks and anything that tied to the character of Tinkerbell. Um, and a microphone and said, here you go. You've got, uh, you've got an audience. 
this could take us 45 minutes to an hour or so, keep them entertained. And, um, and it was a blast. I had the chance to just laugh and, and tell some jokes and get to know some of the guests and, 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 um, you know, get to meet some kids who, the number of little girls who came dressed up as Tinkerbell, you know, ready to watch this movie was just awesome. It was awesome. Um, so the, the entire experience of working with the pass holders and, and the, the team and then getting to meet the guests and share some laughs with them made for a, really a pretty a pretty memorable weekend. I can imagine. I, 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 can, I mean, and we're just, I mean, you're just sort of scratching the surface on just some of the stuff that you've done. And now, all right, so it's November, you know, so, and, and you're... The end of your, your reign as king doesn't end in December. It actually ends in April. So you're kind of like at the halfway point. Does it feel like it's just flown by? Has it gone sort of fast or, or slow? And are you starting to think about or dreading the, the maybe the inevitable end? Um, it has absolutely flown by. I can't believe I'm, I'm halfway done with the responsibilities. You know, we're, we're past the six-month point. Uh, you know, I only have four of the, of the original eight official trips left um and yeah it has absolutely flown by um when i think about the fact that of the four remaining trips only two of them are to to florida two are to walt disney world one is to disneyland and then there's a trip to chicago in there to meet with uh, the folks from career builder who helped pull all this together um it it, it kind of makes me tear up like it, i get a little choked up thinking that I only have two more chances to get down to, to Walt Disney World to be a part of the magic in this capacity, and, and I'm desperately trying to come up with ways that I can milk more hours out of each day when I'm there. Um, if I can find a way to turn a day in a Disney park into a 27 or 28-hour possibility, <laughs> I will do it, and I'll share the secret with you. So um, I, it really has flown by. Everything that they've allowed me to be a part of has been incredible. Every guest that I've met, the number of pictures that I have with, with really special families, with, with kids or with parents, with teenagers, with people that, that you know, I'd never met before and I might not ever see again, but for you know, a, a brief period in time, I shared a really special memory with, is, is absolutely incredible. The, the cast members that I've met, every single cast member I've met, without exception, has been somebody that I wish I could work with more, that I would love to get to know better, that I would love to work with every day, because every one of them has been just absolutely fantastic and, and has made my experience you know, incredibly magical. And again, I've said this several times, and I hope that I will still be saying this when April comes around and it's all over. I can't think of another company in the world that would give away a job, that would give somebody the opportunity to go out and, and make magic. And the fact that the focus of the job isn't on me it's about everyone else it's about getting into the parks and making other people happy and trying to create magical moments and and really special memories for the guests that's just such an awesome opportunity and the fact that that i have been given this chance is still something that i wake up every day having to pinch myself say is this is this really my life is this really me (laughs) and it's um it's absolutely beyond beyond my wildest dreams yeah, and I guess I'm going to have to save this question for for the end. After you know, after April has come and gone, about what might be that that one memory? Because it might change between now and then, maybe more than once. You know, that one thing that you're going to put your grandkids on your knee and, and tell them about um, as really being your fondest. But what about you know? You have to along the way, other than just the really cool food stuff. You probably have collected 
a, a cool souvenir, maybe some, a, a one-of-a-kind thing or something that you're going to have to just put away with and be like, wow, this was just an awesome thing to take with me. Anything like that that you, you know, is going to go up on the mantle next to your Oscar or Emmy or whatever it might be? <laughs> Boy, you're planning farther ahead for me than I am. That's great. Thank I you. have big plans for you, Justin, like it or not. <laughs> I appreciate that. Can I hire you? Can you be, a, uh, can you be my agent? Is that uh, possible? Um, the, the number of, uh, this is going to sound so cliche, the, the memories that I've collected are, are honestly the, the best souvenirs that I have. The number of pictures that I have taken from things, you know, uh, from places are just incredible. I have, I have a lot of, of, of neat mementos. You know, I have press passes for every event that I've been a part of, and I'm collecting those, and there's no question that those are going to hang somewhere prominent in my house just to remind me of all of the, the places I had the chance to go and the people I had the chance to meet. But the biggest thing for me are, are probably the pictures that help me recall the memories. I have a picture in Disney's California Adventure from June with, with, with my arm around John Lasseter. You know, that picture's going to be on the mantle as long as I have a mantle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I have a picture shaking Michael Phelps' hand. You know, that's going to be, you know, on the mantle. That's definitely going in, in, the, in the memory book. Um, but probably the most significant things for me, honestly, are the guests that I've had the chance to meet. I don't, I don't think I had a chance to share this story with you before, so if you have a second, I have one more from my trip in August that I forgot about. Um, I have a picture with a family of four, a uh, mom, dad, and, and two boys. Um, they're from North Carolina, and they absolutely are, are heroes. They're, they're some of my, my most favorite people in the world. Um, as a part of our experience um, in August, uh, the Disney team that I work with had cooked up a really special surprise. And it was, it was partly for me as well. I had never had the chance to see La Nuba, the Cirque du Soleil show at Downtown Disney. So we went over to Downtown Disney one evening, and they sent me to the ticket counter where they had five seats in the very front row reserved for me. We got the chance to go into the ticket booth. I had the chance to meet some of the team from Cirque du Soleil, and then I had the chance to meet one of the clowns, who's a big part of the production. His name is Balto. Um, and we, we looked at the kind of computer display to see who was seated and what seats were, you know, what seats were taken. And we had the chance to head all the way up to the very back row, to the, to the four seats in the very top row, kind of off to the one side, um, and meet this family of four up there. And Balto and I got to present them with these tickets and said, on behalf of Disney and the chief magic official and Balto and Cirque du Soleil, if you guys would be interested, we'd love to just surprise you, create a little magical moment here, and move you down front to the very front row for this for this production of Lanuba tonight. They were thrilled. They jumped at the chance. We we headed down front, and the entire walk as we're passing other people in the you know in the audience and Balto's being a clown and goofing off. We, it was just really really fun. And I said, now the catch is, if you take these seats down front. I'm going to sit there and watch the show with you. You're going to get stuck with me as well. Um, they were okay with that. They, they survived. They said, yeah, sure, it's, it's worth it. Um, so I had the chance to sit there with them and, and get to know them. And, and the father is a firefighter um, in North Carolina. Um, the mom stays at home and takes care of these two incredible little boys. Um, and, I mean, he is, he is absolutely a true hero. And, and so often, you know, we get caught up in and how often we can go to Disney. And I've had the chance to visit so many times and stay at so many incredible resorts um, that hearing from this family and meeting a family that's probably more like most people 
um, you know, than than maybe than maybe I am at this point in my in my life. Um, you know, taking a Disney vacation is a rare and very special treat for them. Um, they they take a vacation every four or five years, and this happened to be their year. This happened to be the very first day of their trip to Disney World, um, and and it was a huge thing for them to be able to to have this experience. And so to be able to surprise them with these seats and get to know them was just incredible. After the show was over, I, I said, I, I, we can't end here. I, I can't just walk away from you guys. You know, they didn't have any plans for the rest of the evening. They were just going to head back to their hotel and, and rest up for a big day at the parks the next day. So we headed into downtown Disney and stopped at the Candy Cauldron. And I picked up some, some candy and chocolate for the boys, and we just walked around and talked. And I, and I got to hear about their stories. I got to know them a little bit better. They got the chance to learn about some of my experiences, you know, as CMO. And then, um, at the end of the evening, we, we got a picture taken together, and it's just the five of us standing up against a railing. And, and to anybody else looking at that picture, um, it probably looks insignificant. It's not at a particularly memorable location. You know, there aren't any characters involved in it. And it's not even easy to tell just from looking at it why those five people would be taking a picture together. But for me, I know that there's a family out there that, that even for just a couple of hours, I was a part of their Disney memory. And... And for way more than a couple hours, they really impacted me, how I see the world, how I interact with people, the respect that I have for, for him as a firefighter and for what he does and for her and how she's raising their two boys um, was just incredible. And it's those kinds of memories, it's those kinds of connections and relationships that are going to you know, impact me well beyond my years as chief magic official. That's the stuff that is going to stay with me forever. Now, now you see, there. You, this is why you're the CMO. This is why you you are the right guy for this job. Why? Because I just put your audience to sleep, telling them a very long-winded story. People are weeping uncontrollably at the end of that story. No, it's listen that you you get it, man. You 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 totally. That's it. You you've encapsulized you know the Disney experience and and your role as CMO perfectly in that story and. Listen, I, I told you, you could have come on and talked about what you had for breakfast this morning, and I would have wanted to have heard it because, again, the whole rock star thing going. <laughs> but no, I, I think that's great. I, I think, you know, because you're, that memory isn't about, you know, wow, I got to meet Michael Phelps or, you know, talk to Mickey or hang out with, you know, Bob Iger eating cake in, in New York, whatever it is. It's about that, that family um, that, you know, this was their, their special occasion. This was their special event. And, and you talk about using the word heroes and athletes as heroes. But, you know, a guy like who's a firefighter like that, who's, who's working and putting his life out there every day to help other people and to raise, you know, for his family's benefit. So um, I appreciate it. And, and, I, and I totally get it for that story. But before you get me to weep on my own show, I'm going to move on and, and say, um, okay, so you got a couple other you know, probably super secret special events um, coming on over the next four or five months up until April. Uh, obviously, we're going from the year of a million dreams to what will you celebrate? But have you thought about maybe what might be next for you? Or is there going to be another CMO? And, and maybe what do you think about the whole what will you celebrate in 2009? Um, I'm very excited about the What Will You Celebrate campaign. Being able to be there in New York when they unveiled it and watching the TV commercials that, that, that you know, have come out about it um, really do remind me that there's always a reason to celebrate. You know? And uh, you know, with the economic climate and everything else that we have going on right now, that rem- 
I think is important that no matter what things look like around you, you know, we're so blessed. We're so fortunate. Let's, let's celebrate something. Um, the, probably the most exciting thing about the campaign for me is that over, over the, over the uh, lifetime of the Disney parks, you know, they've had several parties. You know, they've invited guests to come down for the 25th birthday of, of Walt Disney World. We recently celebrated the 50th anniversary, 50th birthday of Disneyland, you know, and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and we're inviting guests to come celebrate Disney. The idea that Disney wants to turn that table and say, no, 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 we want you. We want to celebrate you. We want you to come here and you tell us what you're celebrating so that we can have the party with you instead of you having the party with us. I think on a, on a basic, very fundamental level is, is a beautiful thing. I really do. I think it's a, a great, powerful message that, that Disney loves and appreciates and wants to celebrate its guests in whatever little victories or triumphs or birthdays or milestones it is that they're celebrating. And I think that's a, a fantastic thing. I really do. Um, Getting in free on your birthday is certainly a nice perk as well. You yeah, know, I that think doesn't that for, stink. <laughs> for, a, for a lot of people, for a lot of people, you know, I look at, like that family from North Carolina, you know, for a lot of people, that opportunity, that opportunity to experience a Disney park on your birthday and, and be able to, to save that, that admission price and, you know, and, and get in, it will make a difference. It will make a big difference, and it will allow that many more people the chance to have a, a truly special, memorable you know, birthday experience. So I'm really pumped about that. As for your other questions, um, I don't know yet about what's next. Um, I, I don't. I'm Part of me wants to start dreaming and thinking about it, but the other part of me realizes if I'm thinking about what's next, that means I have to come to terms with the fact that this part's <laughs> almost over. And I'm, I'm ready to still live in denial for a while about the fact that this is going to end soon. So um, I have met so many incredible people. I have been fortunate enough to acquire a lifetime's worth of, of Disney stories and memories. And if I am able to, to be a part of this, this family in some way going forward, that's just absolutely icing on the cake at this point in time. Um, so, you know, we'll see. For, for right now, every chance I get, I just want to kind of live each one of those moments uh, as fully as I can and, and let the future take care of itself. Well, I, I will tell you that uh, there are a lot of people, especially I think the more that they hear you, can't wait for your reign to be over and hope the, that there will be a second chief magic official. I know you probably can't say or speculate as to that, and we'll have to stay tuned to see if this is something that Disney continues. But um, you know, I, tell, I, I will make I will make you a promise. I, I can't speculate about that right now, but if the time comes that they're ready to unveil a new dream job campaign or a new chief magic official campaign or anything like that. Um, I, I promise you, I will, I will come on your show, and I will make sure that your listeners are some of the first to hear that information. Awesome. I really appreciate it. And uh, listen, Justin, I, I cannot say congratulations to you on your role as CMO enough. And I know that I speak for everybody, um, and I don't do that often, but I'll speak for everybody that's gotten to meet and hear and know you. And we are all in accord that you are undoubtedly the, the perfect person for this job and it really has been a personal honor for me getting to know you and to call you my friend and I really do wish you all the best of luck and continuing success in the future as CMO and everything that that's, is going to follow thank you so much that means so much coming from you it really does and um, 
regardless of, uh, you know, of how this all works out in the end. It, it's about the people. It's about the relationships. And getting the chance to meet you and call you friend, getting the chance to share my story, you know, with your listeners and with, and with the people on, on the website um, has just been a, a priceless part of this experience for me. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And, and I can't tell you how much it means to me. One last question. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> uh, sure. Should I put that in the mail? Or are we going to cross paths again sometime soon? How about we'll meet up in Disney, we'll get some good food, and you can give it to me uh, on a napkin. There you go. See? And it would only be fitting <laughs> if there's right. food involved. All right. Justin Machoni, Disney's first and still only chief magic official. Thank you so much, buddy. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in the park soon. Thank you so much. Have a magical day, Lou. In this week's trip aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine, we're going to travel back to Walt Disney World's very early history, not to look at a show or an attraction or even a restaurant, although if we had time to, I'd love to stop by the Adventureland Veranda and check out JP and the Silver Stars. But instead, we're going to journey back into a time even before Walt Disney World had officially opened to the public. And we're going to sort of set up our explorer's camp on the shores of what's going to be the Seven Seas Lagoon, and we're going to take a look at the lost resorts of the Magic Kingdom. Because believe it or not, the views from the Magic Kingdom across the lake in 2008 look very, very different from what they could have or should have looked like in the mid-70s across the lake to the shores on the opposite side. So to journey with me aboard the Wayback Machine is a new traveler, and his name is Craig Wheeler. He's a fellow Disney fan. I guess it's safe to say actually a Disney geek, uh, very much into the history like I am. We had a chance to email back and forth a number of times and finally got a chance to meet over at Magic Meet. And I knew right away that we were kindred spirits because he brought me a copy of his Disney World magazine from July 1967. I resisted the urge to hug him, but Craig, I want to welcome you to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Lou. It's great to be here. Great to have you here too, and uh, this is this is a topic I've been wanting to cover on the show for um, a, a long, long time. And you actually had posted about it on your blog, which was earning it's earningmyears.com. But before we sort of head back in time, um, let, let's kind of just take a look around at what we have first, so we can sort of compare and contrast. Obviously, we have on the Seven Seas Lagoon, we have the Polynesian, we've got the Grand Floridian over on Bay Lake. We have the Contemporary Resort, all of which are on the monorail line. But really, when they were planning Walt Disney World, even before sort of construction began, things were set to look very, very different. Um, You know, it opened with the Poly, it opened with the Contemporary, but there were plans going way, way back for additional hotels on the lake, and I don't mean the Grand Floridian. That's right, Lou. And actually, as we look at some of the old stuff, this whole idea of the theme resort, I think, was kind of new to people. And Disney really set out with a lot of their press materials of explaining what exactly they meant with that theme hotel. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they really introduced this concept. I mean, everything that sort of introduced when they came to Central Florida was very new to a lot of people. And you're right, because I think people weren't used to having a resort around a theme, except maybe, you know, in, in old Las Vegas would maybe be the only thing that I can think of. Uh, but you're right, in a lot of the uh, press materials that they released, they had to almost sort of explain what it is. And, and I know uh, on your site you had some of, the, some of the terms that they used to sort of explain to people what these themed resorts were going to be. Right, yeah, they were talking, the, the whole concept, it was around the theme and it was to complement the park. And they were explaining, you know, this was the whole package. It was the design, the recreation, um, entertainment, the costumes on the employees, and even your favorite little food. <laughs> My reputation precedes me, I can see. <laughs> but yeah, and they, you know, as Disney always did, they enlisted the help of others who had sort of done similar things before. Um, they enlisted the help of Welton Beckett, and you may know that name because they helped do a lot of work for the 1964-65 World's Fair. I think they designed, designed actually a lot of the show buildings for the World's Fair with Disney back then. That's right. Um Wed was there designing a lot of the theme and then really did tap into Wilton and Beckett's expertise in the architecture end of things. Right, and, and they knew very early on, Craig, they knew that they were going to be building uh, additional resorts. They had seen, I mean, the Contemporary and the Polynesian were designed to handle the Magic Kingdom crowds. They were very much filled to capacity um, very, very early on. And the grand plan was to sort of build things in phases, and it wasn't just to add a single additional hotel like the Grand Floridian, they had in fact planned on building a total of five different themed resorts um, over the next, you know, maybe five to seven years on both Bay Lake and the Seven Seas Lagoon. That was right. They kind of planned the whole thing in phases, and this really was phase one, was the Magic Kingdom and then all of these supporting resorts and other facilities. And um, and really the message was, we've got these two. We've, we've got our flagship contemporary, the Polynesian, and then we've got three more that we're going to keep in our back pocket that we can build as the, as the demand builds for our theme parks. Right, and don't be confused. We're not talking about the Fort Wilderness campgrounds, which opened you know at the same time as well as right. being one of those other... I mean, we're talking about a full-blown resort hotel destination. And you know we can start talking about them individually, but they were actually going to be three very distinctly themed hotels. It was going to be an Asian, a Persian, and a Venetian. And I think let's let's really start off with the Asian um, hotel because it's probably appropriate because it was going to be the first one to have opened as part of this this grand plan. That's right. I think actually the design went the farthest in this, and I believe even in the 1972 annual report, it even got mentioned that they were getting ready to start formal planning and designing on it. Yeah, and they had actually done site prep work um, for it as well. Um, and you, could, you were actually able to see it in late 1971. You can see that the construction team had done a lot of work specifically for this resort. And you're right, in the uh, very early annual reports, they had talked about the fact that the Contemporary and the Polynesian, they were at 100% capacity, and they were going to build this third 500-room Asian-themed hotel. And the interesting thing about it, too, is where it was placed, because it actually sits where the Grand Floridian sits today. That's right. There was... Aerial pictures of the time are great to see, and, and you can even see it from the monorail at the time as you drove over it. There was basically just a square jutting out into the Seven Seas Lagoon that they had prepped out that was to be the future side of the hotel. Yeah, if you look at some of those overhead pictures, and we'll put some links up both to your site and some other sites where you can take a look at some of the uh, 
some of the early concept art, you'll see that there was this large square piece of land that sort of juts out right into the Seven Seas Lagoon. And it was like that for a long, long time, maybe about 15 years, because I remember as a kid uh, going by and seeing it and, and kind of wondering what was going to end up being there. That's right. When they dug out Seven Seas Lagoon, I mean, that was there from the beginning. So from the time the Magic Kingdom was even being constructed, you had that square of land that was sitting there, and, and nothing was ever done with it until the Grand Floridian was built on it, um, opening 1988. Right, and, and the location is important for a couple of reasons, one of which is, much like we talk about the Polynesian and the contemporary sort of tying into where they are geographically, so the contemporary tying into the future theme of Tomorrowland, the Polynesian tying into the, uh, the adventurous theme of Adventureland, this was specifically meant to be also, again, sort of a, a backdrop to Adventureland with a very, not a Polynesian theme, but really more of uh, a much more sort of Asian flair to it, obviously. That's right. And, and I, I would expect it might be even visible from the park a little bit, as you see the contemporary is. Um, the, the main structure of the hotel was to be a 160-foot tower building that would have housed you know shops and, and nightlife, restaurants. Um, sounds like they would have had something along something on the top that would have been along the top of the world show at the contemporary so i mean it really was these these were designed to actually fit in as pieces of the of the theme park exactly that's one of the things that really intrigued me about this was the size of this center tower building i love the idea of having that uh, uh, entertainment venue on top like you said like the top of the world over the contemporary was but they had also planned for uh, convention area space which if I understand Craig correctly, they wanted to keep it very separate from the guest areas. So it sounded like it would be like the first few floors would be the convention area, almost like the same way that the Magic Kingdom is built sort of on the second floor. The resort rooms and, and the area that guests would see uh, who weren't going for the convention would be above that convention space. There would also be um, a lot of space for recreation areas, but trying to keep the convention area separate from the resort area. There was a lot of planning for convention space among all these hotels. I think they were all supposed to have some level of convention space. And Disney, I think, expected to kind of draw on that during the off-seasons. They, they planned to have this, these large convention facilities. They would all be linked together with closed-circuit television. Um, and, and they really did plan to only schedule conferences during certain times of the year. And I really think that was their business plan up front to try to draw some traffic down during the slower times of the year. Yeah, and it also definitely seems from the pictures and the descriptions that it was going to be a very high-end resort, um, very beautiful in theme, a lot of uh, drawing from Thai culture and Thai architecture, the theming of the decor, of course, obviously the restaurants. I'm disappointed that never <laughs> came to be. Um, <laughs> but it, it seemed like it was much more opulent, I guess is the word, as opposed to maybe what we have with the Polynesian now. Right, there was... It's scheduled to be 600 rooms, and they were saying 50 of them would be suites, and the description reads, in royal Thai decor. So I really think they were trying to go fancy. In this hotel, I mean, if you look through the, some of the concept art that was released, you really do see a lot more pictures in this one of the dining establishments and of the Grand Lobby and things like that that we didn't get so much with the Persian or the Venetian. Right. So at this point, people are saying, okay, it sounds good. They were well on their way to building this. There were models that were constructed. There were plans. The designs went back early on. Why did this never happen? Why did this never take place? And I think that really comes back, um, all three of them. And um, Disney hit a roadblock in, in the early 70s, shortly after 
after the the whole Walt Disney World opened, and and it was largely an energy crisis, an oil embargo in 1973, followed by a stock market crash, and really Disney saw this, and and the whole thing was going to hit tourism, and so they just really couldn't afford for any of these hotels to really come out of the gate. Exactly, and that actually goes for the second hotel on the list, and that was the Venetian, because this too was also supposed to be one that would have been open and operational, hopefully on or about October 1st. And the location of the Venetian would have been, if you can picture this, between where the Transportation Ticket Center currently sits and the water bridge that's in between Bay Lake and the Lagoon. So sort of, if you could picture it, in between the Polynesian Transportation Ticket Center and where the Contemporary currently sits. Right, just to the west of where Wilderness Lodge stands today. Exactly. And this one, again, a beautiful resort themed after, obviously, as its name implies, Venice, Italy. Right. And they were looking at St. Mark's Square. And so they were planning, you know, think of how we see it today at the Italy Pavilion in Epcot, where you've got the Campanile and, you know, you've got just these, these great buildings. But the great thing about it was there actually were supposed to be canals and waterways with gondola rides and, and bridges going over them. You know, you could take your gondola ride down and do your shopping. And, um, I mean, it really just looked like it would have been a great experience. Yeah, there was a, uh, the lobby would have been topped with glass. It would have had a, a beautiful sunlit atrium. Uh, but like you said, the, the real sort of draw would have been this city of canals. And if you've ever been to the Venetian in Las Vegas, uh, appropriately enough, that's exactly sort of what they have. They have a canal going through it, it through the, this shopping mall, basically. So the resort actually was supposed to have a small harbor enclosed in it. And so then that actually is what would have led to your you know, gondolas down the streets of water and the footbridges and everything. Um, I think this would have been a great place to rent a boat. I mean, can you imagine if they would have had the harbor right there and you put uh, steps from your door, you would have had the boat there. You could have gone out and, and hit those out onto the lake. Yeah, and, and you actually have on your site, you've got a scan of not just one of the postcards, but one of the actual models. And it, it really looked like and again, to a much, much smaller degree, what you see over in World Showcase. But it, it's also, it was going to be huge. You're looking at another 500 rooms that they would have had basically on the monorail line. That's right. And actually, um, it's interesting looking through some of the concept art and stuff of this, because um, the model you refer to actually had two campanils as opposed to one that you would hear in the descriptions or see on the postcard. And then some of the various uh, pictures and renderings you would see of the entire property. Some had the monorail actually going to the Venetian, and I actually found one where the Venetian wasn't on the monorail line. Interesting. Now, something else that's interesting about this resort, too, obviously you're talking about the early oil embargoes of, of 73, whatever it is. This was allegedly a, vi a victim because of that. But this idea of putting a resort here didn't die, and we'll, we'll, I want to touch on maybe the, the fourth of the, the resorts that wasn't built and, and not one of the original three because they had the idea, Eisner actually had the idea in the early 90s of, yes, it's time to add another resort to this area. We need the rooms. Uh, the economy is doing better. But we're going to abandon the idea of going with the Venetian and instead we're going to go with a Mediterranean-themed resort. And that would have opened up in the late 90s uh, themed after sort of like a, a small Greek island, a Greek village. Again, this was going to be their flagship resort. This was going to be the new five-star resort that they wanted to build. That's right. But this one kind of went under for a different reason, as you alluded to. Um, the land where they wanted to put this 
wasn't suitable for building. They, they did soil samples and they, they tried to put up some test structures and, and everything just kind of went into the ground. It wasn't stable at all. Yeah, supposedly they just sank and they just don't know how far down they actually went down. Um, and because the, the land is just so swampy and so boggy, there's just no there was just no way to sort of solidify it to even, you know, forget about putting up a structure in a hotel. They couldn't even get the pilings to stay up. Mm-hmm. So until they uh, until they're able to sort of maybe if they can ever get around that that construction thing, we may never see anything in that section of the Seven Seas Lagoon. That's right. But thematically, I mean, if you look, you've got everything right there in the wilderness lodge right behind it. I, I can't imagine they would even consider putting something there anymore. Of course, then again, they were able to sort of get around it, I, I, adding the extra rooms in, in a roundabout way by knocking down the North Garden Wing and building the new Bay Lake Tower, um, which is obviously, we all know, next to the contemporary and going to be incredibly popular. I have a, a, a sneaking suspicion. That's right. I'm trying to work that one in the budget. <laughs> I think a lot of people are trying to work that in the budget. It's, uh, it's made discussions of, hey, should we buy DVC, uh, I think come up a little bit more around the dinner table for a lot of families. So, But uh, we're going to save, we, we saved the last of the, the three resorts um, because of its location, really. And this was the Persian Resort. And unlike the others that were on the Seven Seas Lagoon, this one was actually going to be over on Bay Lake. It would have been on the northwest corner, um, a little bit away from where the contemporary stands today. So this one looks really interesting, actually, because you really do have that, that great Persian feel that you think of. You've got the big domes and, and the mosques and columns. And um, actually, again, a lot of water was planned into this one. Um, some of the press materials said that guests will practically be able to sail to their rooms through a sheltered marina. Yeah, and if you look at the model, and again, you have a great scan of this, and I'm obviously going to link to it uh, from this week's show notes on your site. It's a, I, I really, really like the theming of this resort. And uh, you know, like you said, they talk about these, the, like I said, the mosques and the columns and the courtyards. And I don't know what an old Persian dining facility is, but it sounds intriguing <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> and this is yet again another big one, another 500. All of these resorts would have, would have been very large in terms of number of rooms. And this one, I think, though, would have been great just for its seclusion. It would have had its own monorail path going out to it, and it would have had its little spot out on Bay Lake. And, and the only things you really would have been able to see would have been the Contemporary and Discovery Island. Exactly. And you made a you made a point that's very important to talk about, which was this was going to alter the monorail line because it would have actually changed the route. So now instead of kind of going from the contemporary to the Magic Kingdom, it would have actually I think the original plans, Craig, had actually had it going from the Persian into Tomorrowland, much like uh, the monorail actually goes into the theme park in Disneyland. It would have stopped in Tomorrowland and then sort of gone back around maybe to the front of the Magic Kingdom and then over to where, at the time, the Asian Resort would have been. That's right. And and I do wonder if that would have actually come to be if they would have built that hotel because you talk about the great show, um, the movie style, as you're, as you're approaching the Magic Kingdom of coming across the lagoon and seeing the long shot of the castle and the curtain rising as you come under, under the train station. And I think you would have lost that effect if you would have come straight in through Tomorrowland. True. Yeah, true. It's kind of hard. It would be very hard to hide that giant blue domed building that sort of served as the center building um, for the entrance area and the meeting facilities and the restaurants and and 
some of the other entertainment offerings that they had because it was, like you said, surrounded by these smaller wings sort of off to each of the sides. But um, it, it's, it's very, this would have been one of the ones I think I would have been most intrigued to see built, possibly because it would have also added another stop um, on the monorail route. But there, there's also one, too, Craig, that doesn't necessarily fit in with these original three slash four because of the Mediterranean. But there was at one point a mention of another hotel that was supposedly going to be built um, along by, by the west of River Country, themed as a Western hotel. This was according to, actually, Dick Nunes talked about this back in 1982, and that was Cypress Point. That's right. And um, we didn't get Cypress Point, but we did get something very similar and kind of along those same things. And that was the Wilderness Lodge that came up later. Yeah, exactly. This would have been called Cypress Point Lodge. It would have been themed after specifically Yellowstone. Uh, and, and we do, like you said, we, we kind of have this with Wilderness Lodge. Uh, and it's interesting just because they were thinking about this and planning this so far back. Um, and obviously the location would have been a little bit different than where it is today. Right, but I think they, they hit it on the head, I mean, with, with that type of theming and, and kind of this rustic American, very different from anything else they had or anything else they had planned. And I, I think it really did um, serve to be a great idea from the start, and I'm glad to see that one came along. Yeah, you know, kind of like their last idea is the one, you know, that, that they ended up going with as opposed to sort of resurrecting some of the older ideas for the Asian or the Persian or the Venetian. So, uh, and maybe that's you know, a, a topic to talk about. You know, we lost those three, or I guess you could say four, different resorts. Is there any one of those that to you, you would have liked to see built, or you just, maybe you think wouldn't have worked? The one I think I would have most liked to have seen would have been the Asian. Um, I think the Thai style just really would have been great with its elegance. And um, I am, yeah, as we get back, and I'm sure we're going to talk about food here a little bit, um, <laughs> the restaurants that would have shown up there, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Thai food and, and Asian cuisine. And so just seeing all the concept art for this and um, seeing their plans for the rooms and the layout and um, just experiencing, I'm sure, the great restaurants that would have been there would have been fantastic. Although I must say that the location of the Persian would have been great. Okay, good. So I don't feel bad giving you the the lawyer answer that I was going to give you because, like you, I I would love to have seen an an Asian-themed resort, and I also love the Thai culture and the Thai food. I think it could have been a very, very beautiful resort with what they could have brought in. Just picture, you know, all the different elements um, that they could bring in. Think of what some of the things that you see over in Asia in Animal Kingdom and other Asian elements from World Showcase. By the same token, I agree with you. The location of the Persian resort was also very intriguing to me. And because it was something so far off the beaten path, not just in location, but in theming too, um, there's something about that culture that's very mysterious, especially to us who, you know, have very little connection or ties to it. Um, So it might have been a a, a nice cultural introduction for us. That being said, the location of the Venetian Resort also being on the Seven Seas Lagoon, being able to look out from a lot of those rooms onto the water, being able to see the fireworks, being able to see the castle in the distance, uh, obviously, I think, would have been something that would have appealed to people a lot. And I have to tell you that over time, I have heard rumor after rumor uh, about the concept of a Mediterranean resort not being quite dead, um, it not being built in the same location, being built elsewhere on property, using similar concepts but a very different design. 
Uh, that's something I might be very intrigued to see. A Mediterranean-themed resort kind of tying into all the other themed resorts on property might be a nice addition to the mix. I think it would, too, yes. The, the thing, too, about the Persian is it would have been nice had it come when it was proposed because, you know, given political climate, I don't even know if we could have a chance to see anything like that today. So if that were sitting there, it would, it would definitely be a great treat. True. A, a really good point. Really good point. Um, and it's interesting, too, that obviously all of these would have been, it, it seems like very high end. They would have been, you know, three additional deluxe resorts on property. They, they, they don't seem to have been, I mean, they didn't really have the categories back then, but they obviously wouldn't be certainly not value and obviously probably not a moderate resort either. Absolutely. And I should mention, too, that although we talked about the oil crisis impacting the hotel construction sort of on that level. We should note, too, that the campground did open after the Magic Kingdom opened. And in 1973, the Golf Resort Hotel also opened. But that was very small, only about 153 or so rooms aimed at a very, very specific target market. But obviously nothing was built along the size or along the lines as these the original three hotels, the additional three hotels were supposed to be. So, and I think today, you know, as you talk about a Mediterranean themed resort, I think that would fit right back in that category. Another deluxe resort, and I think it'd be one that would draw a big crowd. Very true. And, you know, also with, with DVC being so popular, especially in this location, it might be another offering for a part of the resort to even be DVC accommodation as well, having, uh, you know, DVC villas as part of like one of these ancillary wings or um, section of rooms that they can allot for it. So, I'd be very curious to hear. Uh, what the listeners think based on what they've heard. Again, pictures that we'll, we'll link them up to on the site. Take a look at those. Uh, see what they think they would have liked to have seen been built or see something that they would like to see be built in the future. Which one of these themes might be something that would appeal to them as, as a guest at, on property to see in the future. Um, very different, very interesting, very different landscape that we, we would have seen today than what we currently have. So that's going to do it for this trip aboard the Wayback Machine. Craig Wheeler, I appreciate you taking a trip back with me. I'm going to link over to your site. That is earningmyears.com. Uh, again, I really appreciate you, uh, you taking this little trip and look at some of these lost resorts of the Magic Kingdom. Thanks, Lou. This has been a great journey. Before we end the show this week, I thought I'd reach into the listener email bag and pull a couple out randomly, see if I can answer a few of your emails on the show. First comes from Christopher Rhodes, who said, Hey Lou, I was wondering if you could help settle an argument that I've been having for years and years. My neighbor and I have always agreed on pretty much everything until it comes down to Space Mountain. As you most likely recall, when waiting in the load section of the queue, there's meteors projected onto the roof of the mountain. I've always thought they were just chocolate chip cookies. My neighbor, however, believes they are pancakes. We're both school-age kids, and these disputes have repeatedly become really big, heated arguments, sometimes involving lightsabers. I love it. If you could help me clear this up, I'd be greatly, well, grateful. Again, that's from Christopher Rose. Christopher, great question. Uh, I'd love to see video of the Jedi lightsaber battle over the pancakes versus cookie debate, but... 
Uh, I actually have bad news for both of you because the meteors that are projected onto the ceiling uh, have long been rumored to be chocolate chip cookies. However, that is false. Uh, there are supposedly not chocolate chip cookies that are projected on there, although they do look like look like that. Of course, your friend friend's argument that they look like pancakes could hold true. I guess maybe chocolate chip pancakes or blueberry pancakes, but uh, but they're neither. They are actually just supposedly projections of meteors. That's been a long-standing rumor that, uh, according to Disney, is not true. None of the images that are projected on the ceiling are, in fact, cookies or pancakes. And it's interesting how the first question involved food, even though it was about Space Mountain. Next email comes from Griffin, who said, Hey, Lou, is there any truth to the rumor that Disney will be doing away with the finger scanners? Thanks for any help with this, Griffin. Griffin, yeah, the, the finger scanners that are used in Walt Disney World are very different than what they use out in Disneyland, where they just have sort of a barcode reader. They don't have, you don't have to actually put your, your card into a machine. They look at your card, scan it, it tweets, and you go right in. Walt Disney World, obviously, you have to stick your card in, have your index finger or whatever it is finger. Not really scan. That's, that's a bit of a misnomer. They're not taking your fingerprints. They're not really scanning your finger. They're just comparing your finger's size and shape with the one that was originally imprinted for that car just to make sure that the right person is using it. Uh, I've heard that rumor as well, and there are actually sometimes that uh, when the parks are very busy that they will do away with their finger scanning altogether. You just put your card in. It reads the card. If it's valid, you're allowed in. Uh, I personally would love to see it go away. I think it does kind of slow things down a little bit. The entrance turnstiles, just by way of comparison over at Disneyland, do seem to move a little bit faster. Uh, I don't know. I know you know that both parks do things a little bit differently. But again, that's been a rumor that's been around for a long, long time. And uh, I really have no information one way or the other to confirm or deny it. Next email is also a sort of rumor-related question because Tara asks, Hey, Lou. My family and I were in the parks a few weeks ago, and my almost three-year-old son fell in love with the TTA. He and I both. He said it was his favorite ride, but with the rumors of Space Mountain going down for a lengthy rehab in 2009, what would that mean for the TTA? Tara and son, thank you very much for that question. It's actually one that I've been getting a lot lately, and the honest answer is, I don't know. Uh, because the plans for, the, for Space Mountain's refurb whatever they might be, are still up in the air. We've really heard nothing from Disney officially as to what might happen and the extent and the length of the rehab. We really don't know. But for argument's sake, if they are going to do something along the lines of a major, major overhaul that's going to run a year and they're going to basically gut that attraction, gut both tracks, do something more along the lines of Disneyland's Space Mountain, I can't imagine that they would allow guests to go through Space Mountain on the TTA uh, with all that kind of construction going on unless they were able to somehow cover up those walls, block it off completely, obviously make it very, very safe um, so in case anything falls, uh, it wouldn't hit any guests on the TTA. But I guess we have to really wait and see from Disney what very well might happen. Um, I know the fear that you have is the same fear that I have and hopefully it will not necessitate the close of one of my favorite attractions and those of a lot of other people of the TTA for what could be up to a year or so. The next email comes from Minnie M, who said, Hey, Lou, thanks so much for all your great shows. I look forward to them every week. And now I have my husband listening, too. We have a question for you. I read somewhere that starting in October, the Garden Grill restaurant in the land, over in Epcot, will no longer be having characters. I'm aware they will not be serving lunch, but wasn't aware they were discontinuing characters as well. Do you know if this rumor is true? We're both heading down to Disney in a few weeks, and we're really looking forward to this, both for the food and the characters. Thanks so much for your help. Well, Minnie, you're right about one thing, is that as of October 5th of this year, 
they did uh, announce that they were going to discontinue lunch service over at the Garden Grill. However, they will still be serving dinner, the only meal they're going to be serving there. Uh, it is still going to be a character experience with Farmer Mickey, Minnie, uh, and Chip and Dale. They had discontinued breakfast um, a while earlier. but So the characters will still be there if you do have dinner reservations. Again, however, like you said, there is no longer lunch served over at Garden Grill. Next email comes all the way from Paula in New Zealand, who said, Lou, I just returned from a trip to Walt Disney World and noticed in the World of Disney an Epcot souvenir that has a coin from each country around the world showcase. Also, for some reason I can't fathom, neither can I, I'll get to that, it also includes a coin from Malawi. Is this the next pavilion, perhaps? Or is it to represent the small stand that does the African carvings? I thought if anyone knew... You would, Paula in New Zealand. Paula, I've got some bad news for you. I have no idea. But what I will tell you is that I'm happy that I'm not alone because I've seen this display and I've seen this souvenir. And basically, it's a uh, almost like a 8.5 by 11 size sheet that has Epcot International coins. It has a blue background on it. And you'll find coins from each of the pavilions in the World Showcase, Morocco, Mexico, Germany, etc., but there are four rows of three columns of coins, and the one that's in the bottom right is a coin from the nation of Malawi, which actually is from the western coast of Africa, in between Zambia and Mozambique, just above Zimbabwe. Yes, I've researched this because, like you, it made me crazy, and I couldn't figure it out, and I won't even get into the story about the looks that I got when I asked the cast member in the store why the country of Malawi was there. But anyway, the only thing I could think of is one of two things. It either represents the African Outpost, which isn't really a pavilion. It's more of that little shop that's there. Used to host Orisi Risi, which was the African entertainment group that actually just left. Um, They told folk stories and played drums. There's also the African Carver there. You can get some other African souvenirs. It was also the location of where the planned Africa Pavilion was supposed to be. And maybe that makes more logical sense. Is that why the coin is there? Why they chose the country of Malawi, I I still have not been able to figure out. If anybody does know, by all means, I I would appreciate it if you let me know. Email me your thoughts or answer and uh, try and help Paula and I sleep just a little bit better at night. So that's going to do it for this week's listener email section. But, you know, before we end the show, before we end the email segment, what do you say we have a little contest? And nothing spectacular, no trips around the world, but just a little contest. And... Since the holidays are coming up, I actually went shopping when I was in Disney this past week. What do you say we give away a set of six holiday-themed Walt Disney World antenna toppers? And that's not enough. Let's also give away... uh, Let's see what else I got in the bag. Uh, Oh, these are cool. I've got a set of very, very cool Haunted Mansion glow-in-the-dark playing cards. I got myself a set of these. I I like them not just because they're cool playing cards, but they're almost kind of collectibles and a little plastic tin. We'll give those away as well. And just for fun, how about a 2009 Walt Disney World trivia page-a-day calendar? So what will we do for the contest? All right, well, you know what? Since the last bit of news was about the Country Bear Jamboree, how about a little bit of Country Bear Jamboree trivia? We'll do a trivia question and... I'll give you guys a week to submit your answers, and then I'll randomly draw a winner from those. So, okay, here you go. Here is your contest trivia question. According to story, who is the founder of the Country Bear Jamboree? I don't mean the the Imagineer that designed it, and it's not Walt Disney. That's not what I'm talking about. But according to the story of the Country Bear Jamboree, who 
is the actual founder uh, of the Country Bear. So send your answers to Lou at WDWRadio.com. I'll give you until, let's see, next Saturday night at 11.59 p.m. So that's Saturday, November 8th at 11.59 p.m. to get your answers in. Like I said, we'll take from the pool of all the correct answers. We'll draw them randomly out of the virtual hat, as it were. That person will win the set of six Walt Disney World Disneyland holiday-themed antenna toppers. It looks like it's a Easter, St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Day, the Uncle Sam 4th of July, the Halloween, and the Thanksgiving Pilgrim antenna toppers. And if you're like me and don't have an antenna, you can stick them on your desk or put them in your car or do whatever you like with them. And you'll also get the very, very, very cool Haunted Mansion glow-in-the-dark set of playing cards and my 2009 Walt Disney World trivia page-a-day calendar. So again, you have till 11.59 p.m. Saturday, October, wow, November 8th, and uh, good luck. Thanks again for tuning in this week and taking the time to listen. I hope you all enjoyed the show, had as much fun with it as I did. Thanks to Justin Machoni, Disney's chief magic official, and Craig Wheeler, and everybody that emailed in their questions and called in with a voicemail. Remember, you can be on the air by calling our new toll-free voicemail line at 1-888-703-2171. That's 888-703-2171. Or you can also email me anytime at lou at wdwradio.com with questions, comments, anything at all. Just a couple of quick updates before we end the show. I'm happy to say that subscribers are telling us that they have received their first issue of Celebrations Magazine. If you have subscribed, if you haven't gotten it as yet, you could probably expect it over the next few days or week or so. If you haven't subscribed, it's time to head over to celebrationspress.com. Check out the new print magazine from Tim Foster from Guide to the Magic and myself. It is now available for subscriptions. If you do subscribe now, it'll start with issue two, but you can still order issue one from the website. And don't forget to, we're still looking for you to submit your photos, letters, emails, questions, comments, suggestions for something you might want to see in the magazine. You can send that right to me at lou at wdwradio.com. And if you do get your copy of Issue 1, we'd love to hear some of your feedback. You can email me directly or even call the voicemail, 888-703-2171. Let us know what you think. Speaking of letting you know what, well, I think anyway, I just got my copy of the Magic Meets recap DVD from this past year's Magic Meet event in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Had a chance to check it out. Really enjoyed it. If you went to Magic Meet and want to sort of relive the weekend's events, or if you didn't get a chance to go, want to see what you missed, head on over to VideoEars.com, V-I-D-E-O-E-A-R-S. I'll put a link in the show notes. There you can order the DVD and get a special 20% off the normal price. It's just $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Again, Jamie Kersey from Video Ears did an awesome job putting like thousands of hours of footage together. So again, that's VideoEars.com. Don't forget also to head on over to DisneyWorldTrivia.com. There in the shop, you can still get signed copies of both of my trivia books, Volume 1 and 2, as well as the audio guides to Main Street USA and Adventureland on either CD or instantly downloadable file. 
I also still have copies left of my 2009 Disney World Trivia Page a Day calendar, but when they are gone, they are gone, and they are going fast as the holiday season is approaching. You can get all that there in the shop, like I said, over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Be sure and check out our show notes page at WDWRadio.com. There you'll find links, more information, including some special offers from some of my partners, including All-Star Vacation Homes, where you can get a free rental car and $50 gas card with your seven-night stay, $50 off your owner's locker, and of course, always great offers from Mouse Fan Travel, the best prices and exceptional service. They are my recommended travel provider, as you know. Anyway, on upcoming shows, lots of things planned. Really excited about some of the things and the guests and the features I have set up for upcoming shows. But again, don't forget, I want you to be part of the show. So email me anytime, lou at wdwradio.com. Call the new toll-free voicemail line, 888-703-2171. Also, this will be my last reminder, and thanks again, because the WDW Radio Show was nominated for a podcast award. We're a finalist over in the travel category over at podcastawards.com. Voting ends November 6th. That's this Thursday. So there's just a couple of days left. Going to ask you guys for a big push. Remember, you can vote once per day, every day, per IP address, per email address, up until the last day of voting. Every vote will need to be validated, so make sure you use a valid email address because you're going to get an email from Podcast Awards. You'll have to click on a link and verify your vote. Also, while you're there, cast a vote for Clinton over at the Comedy Forecast over in the Comedy section. Again, that's podcastawards.com. I'll put a link up over on the website. I appreciate any help that you guys can give. And of course, don't forget, if you guys want to talk about the show, comment on it. Interact with other listeners. Come and visit the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And please, if you like the show, help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review the show on iTunes. Come over. Friend me up over on Facebook. Follow my instant updates over at Twitter.com slash Links to all that is in this week's show notes. And of course, my friends, I want to say thanks, as always, for taking the time to tune into the show each and every week. So until next time, I hope you have a great week. See ya. Hey Lou, this is Max from Germany speaking once again. <clears throat> I really have to tell you, I love, love, love your and Tim's segments, uh, the top ten segments. I just listened to um, your latest show yesterday, and the, the, um, the part about the Haunted Mansion was awesome. And you were discussing the hidden Mickey in the ballroom on the table, and I have something to say about it. Well, um, I attended the Key to the Kingdom tour about four or five months ago. And the guy told us that that Mickey was not official. And that's the reason why you sometimes see the ears being made out of um, cups and the next time something different. When the Imagineers walk through the attraction, they, they make sure the Hidden Mickey goes away. They put the setup on the table the way it's supposed to be, and then you will see no Hidden Mickey. But the cast members, though, they um, keep that one holy. So they put the years back again, so it is um, hidden, a hidden Mickey made up by cast members, not by Imagineers. I just thought that was a very interesting bit about it, and I find that kind of funny. Yeah, um, well, keep up the great work, and I, um, you can be sure to hear again from me. Bye. Hi, Lou. My name's Barbie. I'm calling from Houston, Texas. I just listened to the Haunted Mansion show, and I wanted to let you know that the man's voice inside the coffin that's knocking and screaming, let me out of here, let me out of here. That is actually Exitensio. I heard it on 
um, another podcast about a year and a half ago. He was doing, um, someone had recorded a talk that he gave, and he talked about how he had to record that. And also, when the ride stops, that's also X's voice saying, please stay in your doom buggy. So, uh, love your show. Keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, hello, it's Adam here, host of the Disney Brit Podcast. I was ringing because I've just been listening to show 19. You were talking in the top 10 things we love about the Haunted Mansion, that you uh, died in the Haunted Mansion and that you also died in the old Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. There was also another attraction in Walt Disney World that it happened way back in the beginning when uh, Snow White's Scary Adventure opened. It was also believed that the... Um, evil queen, the wicked queen, dropped the rock right at the end of the uh, ride onto guests. And when they went through the doors into the last scene, there was all the flashing lights and it was supposed to resemble you having been killed by the queen as well. So uh, there was actually three rides within uh, Disney World right at the beginning where you were supposed to have died. So I just thought to let you know. Okay, see ya. Hey Lou, it's Dave. Love the show and can't wait to see you in the parks. 